Thank you for downloading this podcast. My name is Richard Rucroft. You're listening to Rusty Microphone. The website, of course, is rustymicrophone.com. We're going to talk today about Walter Russell one more time, uh, and it looks like it's a very hot topic of conversation. We have two guests, um, Robert Otey and Matt Presti. Robert, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Richard? Excellent. And how are you, Matt? I'm fine, thanks, Richard. We wanted to dis- we want to continually discuss, I think, Walter Russell from time to time because his work is so extensive. Anyone who has listened to um, any of the previous podcasts on uh, Walter Russell on the website at rustymicrophone.com surely understands by now who the man is and that the fact that he brought a tremendous science to the world. And uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of thought that really has to go into some of these things. And one of the, the difficulties, the big difficulty, is the cubes and the spheres is really at the root of Walter Russell's work. And in other podcasts, I mentioned this, this problem that I had, um, because Walter Russell implied, since I've taken his full, full course uh, many years ago, and I've forgotten probably most of it, but he certainly implied that it's possible, in my opinion, for matter to completely disappear and reappear as we move through our space. And the thought that any physical matter, be it a human being, be it an atomic particle, be it a world, a planetary system or a sun, has to have out there somewhere in some dimension a cube that goes with it. And if we're moving in our in, in, in space, in our space, then the cube obviously has to be either moving with us, or if the cubes don't move, then they have to, matter has to die and be reborn continuously as we move. Uh, if, the, if you visualize the cubes as being fixed in space and not mo- moving, then uh, matter is, is uh, both uh, disappears and reappears so rapidly that we wouldn't notice it. At least that, those are my thoughts. And um, I'd like either, either of you to answer that or to, to comment on well, it the, if you can. The cube is um, itself, it doesn't exist within the physical universe. It's a, this, what's, you know, Russell calls space geometry. So it controls the motions of what we see as the physical universe. And to you, it's as simple as that. Yeah, okay. yeah, pretty much. Because and they're ever present. They're omnipresent. They're they're everywhere. The cubes are in the planes of the inert gases interpenetrate each other, and the points of zero are everywhere. So, you know, the, ultimately, what you're looking at is something that's an illusion, and that's what you, you you the ultimate conclusion you come to from reading Russell's work, and what he concluded also is that all of this is basically an illusion. And so in, in some dimension somewhere, we have cubes within cubes within cubes, and they can evidently interpenetrate each other, and be, you can, they're going to be, well, if you consider the number of atoms and molecules and cells in our human body, yeah. there, there has to be cubes for every one of them, so they're all Absolutely. interfering with each other, aren't they? Well, no, not at all, because they're all space geometries. They they have nothing to do with the physical universe, and the waveforms that they that they control, they all interpenetrate each other. I mean, you know, there's waveforms of every imaginable form coming in, interpenetrating our planet, our solar system, our universe right now. 
So the space geometries are not part of the physical universe. There is no conflict. I mean, the, the still magnetic light is everywhere. There are planes and points of still magnetic light that pervade all of the entire universe. In order, but they are not of this universe. They are of the mind. In order for us to exist where we are and in the form that we are, it has to be a pretty busy universe wherever these cubes do exist it has to be pretty busy i'm thinking of a chaotic expressway and you know you have two cars coming together on the same roadway and you have an accident because they can't share the same space at the same time in our in our world anyway right but it's not the case with the cubes so i guess that solves yeah. the problem but it, to me it there, there's some missing stuff here because uh how could it be so chaotic so busy in other dimensions. It's just amazing. <laughs> and what's electricity? I mean, I, that, that's a question that, that scientists, uh, they've had the theory, electron theory of elect electricity and the uh, current theory of electricity for many years, and I don't think they have ever really gone beyond the theory stage, you know. But right, and electri electricity is not electrons bumping each other down wires that's absurd yeah you know, electricity is the desire of the creator to express and uh, there's, there's only one force in the entire universe which is electricity and it could be said that everything in existence is actually uh, one form of electricity or another even light you know? right and everything's a condition of compression or expansion I look at um, the translucity of, of um, if you shine a flashlight up to your hand you see the photons coming through it. Well, we have uh, creatures in our uh, world that are, you can basically see through them. Certain types of fish, uh, you can see through them. It's amazing how um, we think the, the human uh, body is solid, but it really isn't at all, is it? Right, exactly. So, right, now the human body is a, a grouping of spheres, so... Spheres are, are really the matter end of physical matter, where cubes are the space end. So the, the pressure conditions exchange and interchange between the two, but the sphere is really the, the building block of actual what we call physical matter. Because all th things of rings, being at the cell or the tree, and layers. So rings form layer after layer including in bone itself. So the human body is a, a series of rings that layers on top of layers, and eventually you, you end up with a full-grown human being. But uh, if you were to, to look at a side section of the arm, the, the radial bone, you would see rings in the bone, bones like a tree. So literally it's a, a series of, of layerings that build one on top of the other and this ringing effect uh, rings uh, I mean we saw a tree down cut a tree down and we have the rings to show its history and it seems like almost everything in nature is layered just as, as you said uh, even um, perhaps part of the planet as well I think is layered so. exactly and and the planet has been expanding since it left the Sun since it was born from the Sun Assuming that, that Russell is correct, which seems to be a better theory than just cooling gas clouds that happen to cool and form planets, you know, at just the right distances. But um, like any system, you have uh, 
a coupling of, of layers of effects. So, so take a human body, which they estimate to be, uh, you guys might need to help me here, but I believe it's 50 trillion individual cells make up an adult human body, an average adult human body. So you think of 50 trillion spheres working in tandem, and yet some of these spheres are dying and others are being born as as the physical body every second. So, Absolutely. And the reason for the, for the rings is because the fundamental motions of, of the atomic system is, is ring-like. Everything is based on north and south poles, which are you know, gravity shafts, and they're spinning electric rings that, that uh, spin around those shafts, and that's what gives form to the physical universe. And that's the very fundamental, that's the foundational motions of the entire universe. So everything is an extrapolation, a fractal expression of that at a higher level. So the same thing is going on with planets and suns and galaxies also. When you look at the idea of God or a creator and you look at the scale of just what we know at the microscopic level and also at the um, uh, planetary level, astronomical level, I mean, the word astronomical is, is, uh, <laughs> makes a lot of sense when you consider there's a tremendous scale here, and it's all one creator. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. Our, it doesn't seem like our minds are, are even capable of handling ideas like this, you know? Yeah, because it's infinite and eternal, and those are things that are very difficult for us in our limited sensory ranges to understand. Yeah. And uh, if I may add to that... There's a beautiful saying that, that uh, came out of the book, Blackout Speaks, by uh, John G. Nehart. And Black Elk had said in a vision that he looked out into the mountains and he saw the central mountain. And he realized that the central mountain was everywhere and that he was the central mountain. So the, the mystical experiences of, of times come and gone certainly allude to this central mind, the center point of mind itself, which, according to the Russells, is in the center of every body that exists in this temporal universe. And that's one of the ways that's helped me to understand a little more about what omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence actually translates into in terms of matter and form and substance is that I think of every atom, and I know there's a center of every atom, and science sees it as well. Um, I think of a planet, and I know there's a center of every planet. But I also think of myself, and, and an animal, and even a tree, and I know there's a center in those things. So, by identifying the center in everything, you begin to have a more, I think, comprehensible view of what the Creator is. A little less self-centered uh, viewpoint of how things work in the world when you when you realize if you heard somebody else or an animal or anything that uh, part of the uh, act of hurting some other creature is in, in a way hurting yourself as well absolutely and you can you could even look at it as the center hurting the center but yeah. the center can't actually hurt the center what what we're actually experiencing in the form of pain and suffering is simply balance and that's what's so important for man to realize about the center being omnipresent, meaning in every bit of matter he can possibly break down and identify. The center is omnipresent. And what you do to another center, you do to your own center. Mm -hmm. And so in that wise, 
that's where the beauty of the philosophy of Walter and Leo comes in so well, and that it helps us to understand that that our barbarian state that w- that mankind is still dwelling in, uh, when it comes to the realization of its universality and transcends individuality, which breaks down to individed duality, when man becomes aware of his center, he, he breaks from duality into a triality. In other words, he, he evolves to live from his center as opposed to living in the effects of the two-way motion seesaw. And the seesaw always moves upon the fulcrum, and, and Russell always said that, that God's mind is, is the fulcrum of all motion. And I think man's transcendence from individuality into universality is the moving from the two-way lever of, of effects of, and reaction to the knowing of cause, which is, is literally the unfolding of a triality into your consciousness. Yes. You understand the work very, very well. I, I'm uh, really impressed with both of you, actually, at, at the level of understanding that you have in Russell's material. But the notion of birth and death, uh, I've often thought that scientists, when they say this rock is so many millions of years old, and I'm, I'm looking at the rock and I'm thinking, okay, there's, there's a problem here with the way this is being stated. And the problem is with probably with the English language and the misuse of the word um, having to do with age. Age relates to human beings who are born, live, and die. Buildings um, can be constructed. They exist for a while, and then we tear them down, or Mother Nature helps us bring them down. And so the concept of time does have a place. But I'm looking at a rock and a scientist is saying this rock has a certain age, although it's a very long age. I've never seen a rock be born, and I've never seen a rock die. So I think there's a problem here with the thinking. I mean, I don't. granted, according to Walter Russell, everything in the universe, even atoms at the um, elemental level, are life forms. But anything that has a birth, life, and death has... Uh, there are usually other ones of the same type that are being born at the same time others are existing and dying at the same time other ones are still existing. If we look out into the heavens, we see um, large uh, planets and uh, 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 systems of various types being in the process of being born and the process of going through their evolutionary life cycle. But I've never seen a rock be born. And that's where my problem is. I don't think they're using the right language here. So I guess that's my problem. <laughs> to show, you want to take that, Robert? Sh- show, me a ro- uh, show, me, show me a rock that, that, that's in the process of being born, and then I'll accept well, the, it. You the, know. Right. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> well, uh, what I, what I kind of see from that analogy, um, rocks and matter and substances, and this, this I would have to... S- to refer people to the elemental chart, the periodic chart, which Russell drew, the spiral progression from the beginning, cath- the beginning cathode of uh, the inert gas of alphanon ending in omeganon at the ninth octave. So all matter transmutes and begins as alphanon. And as electricity is stepped up in systems, so matter steps up as well. 
And I think one good analogy to look at is, is we can definitely see that plants are born and die. But what we can't see, because it's, it's a much longer process of transmutation, is the birth and death of minerals. Now, we can look at a volcano and we can, we can see, you know, mm-hmm. pumice and, and other things being born from a volcano that, that within a year or so becomes something other than lava. That's true, yeah. So, that is a, a quick process of understanding mineral life and death. But in a longer process, to truly understand, I think you have to go back to some of the writings of Russell that speaks of the planets. And if you were to take Earth back to where Mercury was, uh, as Russell said, the first kingdom of, of uh, life is the mineral kingdom. And from the mineral kingdom is born the vegetable kingdom. And then following the vegetable kingdom is born the animal kingdom yes. and then the fourth kingdom being man's rising because nature loosens her grip on the seed of man who then you know has the chance to enter what he called the fifth kingdom or the the, the kingdom of universal brotherhood and sisterhood so when you look at minerals um what was gold today a million years from now will will be a different substance because just just my own collecting of rocks, I've collected many rocks and gone on many rock hunting adventures just around the, the parts of southern Missouri where I live. And I often notice that, that certain rocks are affected by sunlight. So when you get lead, for instance, mined out of the ground, and then I find piles of lead, we live in, in the lead mine belt, and we often go looking for a calcite, which is... A, crystal deposit that grows on lead as well as pyrite and and other minerals but lead left in the sun for a matter of years will begin to turn green mm-hmm. and literally the, the the crystals of the lead itself alter with sunlight shining on it over periods of time so i try to think of the mineral kingdom as far older in the sense that time you know again is is one thing that man does is, is he uses time to measure age, but it's hard for man to comprehend time because time is an effect of motion. If there was no motion, there would be no time. That's right, yeah. So because of motion, we can see things change, and we put labels on this change. For instance, one is age, and that's the difference between young and old. And I think that minerals and the mineral kingdom is far older than man can even comprehend. So th- therefore, we don't have any conception of the life, of the birth or death of, say, the mineral kingdom. But it seems to be the oldest, and it'll probably be the, the last thing remaining. You know, once Earth is, according to Russell, moves out farther and farther from the sun, to expand back into a gaseous state and eventually those gases return back to the sun to repeat the process over again so yes uh, i guess there are varying um i don't want to say creatures entities if if for want of a better word uh, when you're talking about going through all kingdoms from mineral to plant to uh, animal and us. I, I just use the word entity to refer to all, anyone or all of them. So I guess you have long, very long life cycle 
entities, and that would be probably the mineral kingdom, and you have very short life cycle entities. I'm sure in quantum physics, uh, they're seeing particles appear and disappear very rapidly right under the monitoring equipment, whether it be electron microscope or whatever other means they have of monitoring these uh, atomic particles. It appears, at least on the surface, that they are seeing particles appear out of nowhere and disappear back into nothingness. So, well, they're seeing waveforms. They're seeing vapor trails in their bubble chambers. Yeah. And that's not, there's no proof of a particle. There's a, what it's proof of is a waveform. And they yeah. classify all those different waveforms and the way that they spin off of the reaction as being different things, whether yes. quarks or hadrons or whatever, you know what I mean? But uh, you can just, that's like classify, if you were to shoot a, uh, water, a water vortex with a bullet, all sorts of different waveforms would come off of that. It would be like classifying all those as different things too. I mean, these things are non-existent. Yeah. These so so-called subatomic particles don't exist. They're created in these in these um, ridiculous colliders. You know, these are unnatural events. That's right. Uh, but you know, you ha you can't close your eyes to physical observation as well. It's just the conclusions they come to are, are probably... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's and, and that's, that's... Robert and I had a big discussion about this recently, about particles, and, and, and basically, I think one of the, the, the neat things is to understand the vortex nature of the universe and that electricity moves in vortices. And so what we think of as a particle is actually a vortex that, you know has a certain characteristic that's unlike, say, a vortex of, of what we call an electron of gold is slightly different than a vortex of an electron of copper. And we, we count a different effect between the different substances. Yes. But what is and so they're one opposing vortices, actually. So. Right, correct. And what's so, so beautiful about the Russellian view through science, his science, was that... Uh, all of these different vortice-like things which we note and record and observe are simply reactions of all, basically light itself. Light is electricity, so therefore all substances are made of light and have electricity as, as the push, as the uh, unfolding and refolding force. And what we're calling different substances are simply different pressure conditions. And so we notice a slightly different pressure condition between, say, gold and silver. There might be a slight weight difference, a slight color difference, but yet um, when, when matter reaches the state, the pressure condition, which is gold, then we recognize it as such. And I think what we're doing with particles is trying to name these different effects of matter that like Robert said, we, we look at it under the microscope, we put it into uh, colliders and, and, and bubble chambers and different things, mm -hmm. and we come up with these different effects. But, uh, of course, you know, consciousness does have an effect on matter as well. So it's well, one I of those things where we're, I know science is, is genuinely working toward understanding, but without the correct beginnings, no, knowing that the, the, the universe is electric, then many of the conclusions that a scientist comes to will indeed be false because the properties that enable one to look at the universe as being particles has a flaw in it if you consider the, the ramifications of the Russellian science. 
Yeah, it's uh, also matter is infinitely divisible, so it's a waste of time. I mean, they can do this for all eternity, and they'll just keep breaking things into smaller and smaller pieces and classifying, quantifying them, and it's it's an absolute waste of time. It'll bring humanity no profit whatsoever. Conventional scientists really love to name things, don't they? Yes, uh, even that's in, what it's all about. Even even in medicine, the the um, the most important part of um, allopathic medicine today, and, I, and of course I'm I'm not a doctor, and neither are you folks. But I think the most important part is to identify a disease and call it something. Whoever discovers the disease get gets to name the disease after them, and they're uh, um, held as a, some kind of a hero for discovering it and naming it. And it doesn't seem like they have a very high high importance attached to curing it or preventing it but uh, there's no money in curing it (laughs) (laughs) that's true and and I I guess you could even classify that action of naming everything as a disease itself that's right yeah I mean, we just have to come up with the name for it, and then we can sell pills to the doctors and the scientists that have to name everything because they're in the disease state of naming everything yeah I'm I'm surprised the the real problem is they keep just naming the effects they, they, where they, they never talk about what are the causes of those effects. They're looking at yeah. the exteriorization of the, of the causes. Uh, and I actually, I actually have a term for that, that that does fit. I call it a materialistic externalism. So by living so externally, we have to name everything. We have to have answers for all the effects of motion. But being the fulcrum knows the cause of motion by knowing mind itself. So therefore, you remove all the effects by understanding the cause. You guys have a name for everything, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm just kidding. We try to. <laughs> oh, look at look at all the points of light that are out in the celestial dome, and most of them at this point in time have numbers attached to them as stars. And I think there is a move afoot to send somebody some money and have one of them uh, be, be able to name one of them after yourself or a member of your family or something like that is totally ridiculous anyway. <laughs> well, um, sure, yeah. It's, uh, there's different registers, but there's so many different agencies you can go through to name stuff, but who's the correct one and who is the absolute authority on that, I'm, I'm not even sure myself. Yeah, like having a flower named after you uh, and stuff like that as well, the hybrids. Yes, we live in a strange world. Um, I concur. <laughs> one one of the things I saw on a YouTube video um, that I got off of your website, Robert, was a YouTube video where a gentleman is before a group of people, and he's got an aquarium full of water, and he puts a stick in the water, and he starts to turn the water within the aquarium, and the strangest thing happened. I've, I was so surprised when I heard, saw this. I saw the rings of Saturn forming underneath the water, in the water itself. It, I, I thought of the rings of Saturn because it looked like there were cavitations going out from where the stir point was. And uh, lo and behold, that is 100% Russellian. Yeah. Are you talking of, about Frank Chester's videos? I don't know the one, but uh, I'm sure there, there are not too many. It was, I got the link from your website. so. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, Frank Chester was doing those kind of things, uh, spinning geometries in water. Yeah. You have like sticks made out of geometries. Uh, the chestahedron is what he created. Yeah. but and, and yeah, he, he was able to deduce the, the shape of the space geometry which houses our heart, which is a seven-sided geometric form. 
And when he was spinning that, you can see all the different vortices. And he was actually able to recreate the internal chambers and show, you know, uh, specifically that the heart is a vortex regulator and not a pump, which is the exact opposite of what they teach in academia. And it's also easily proven because the very bottom of the heart is, you know, almost paper thin. You can push your finger through it. So there's no pressure down there. And the reason being that the vortex will allow the pressure, the internal pressure within the heart to go that low. So there's, there is no pumping action. It's just regulating a, a, the, the vortices of blood because blood moves in implosion, just like water and air and light and everything else, electricity. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I think we should, uh, I should get a link f- uh, from you for that and put it on the webpage for this podcast. So, oh, sure. So sure. Any, I've any, got a, a Frank Chester playlist, actually. It's yeah. got about 15 or 20 of his videos. They're all really great. Both of your websites are absolutely amazing, by the way. So good, well, good, thank you. good work. Thank you, Richard. And uh, I should direct some of our listeners to your YouTube videos as well. Would you like to uh, uh, tell people where they can find that stuff? My stuff's at 77G Slinger. That's Guitar Slinger. 77G and then S-L-I-N-G-E-R. Good. Yeah, and for my stuff, you can. I would just recommend people go to thesecretoflight.com. And through the videos posted on that page, you can check out some of my other work on YouTube as well. I was just looking at a BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, news story on something called graphene, G-R-A-P-H-E-N-E. And evidently this is the, uh, a relatively new substance that is extremely hard, much harder than steel by many factors, uh, an extremely good conductor of electricity, and they say they can make transistors out of it that are um, uh, many orders of factor faster than the ones we have. But uh, some of the uh, analysts, of course, are saying new materials like this are... Uh, every, everyone has pie-in-the-sky ideas about what, what can be done with them in the future. But uh, they, time will tell, right? But evidently this... Yeah, well, once... Yeah, go ahead, yeah. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, once mankind understands the wave cycles, he'll be able to transmute uh, elements and anything that he needs, you know, so... We've just we've gone at it completely wrong. I mean, the really, it, what fundamentally is the problem here is the nuclear theory of the atom. That is a bot that most people live in, and it's a it's a fraud. It doesn't exist. There is no nuclear atom. So, uh, to have your mind boxed into that kind of uh, environment, and then to go out and try to practice chemistry within a box, you know, no, nothing of good will ever come of that. That's why we have a, a world that's filled with pervasive toxicity, uh, you know, largely created by so-called chemists. Yeah. You know, so uh, with no, no regard whatsoever for the environment, for all the beings that live here that have to be, you know, live within this polluted, filthy condition that has been created by, um, you know, quackademia and their, their corporate owned uh, chemists and scientists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, just to add to that, we, we wouldn't have the troubles of producing free energy machines if people were taught about Walter Russell, Victor Schauberger and other of the great geniuses out there. Who have clearly showed Tesla, who have showed their electrical understanding as being true to nature. So what nature does with with cleanness and and generating coolness, man has to do with explosion, loud explosions, and and pollution. So 
the, the proof is in the pudding. When, when universities start to produce people that come out of universities knowing physics in and out, and these, these people begin to produce free energy machines based on overunity and perpetual motion, then it will have, be doing its job. But until then, um, I personally would recommend that, that people don't go to school, that they just try wow. to develop their talents as opposed to developing, you know, an academic curriculum that, you know, puts you in debt. There's a great uh, video I just watched called The College Conspiracy, <laughs> which is available on YouTube, and it's beautifully done, and it, it clearly shows how, how uh, you're actually worse off by going to college because by the time you're out, and, and if it's even feasible that you find a job, you're so in debt, and your peers that went straight to work instead of school are ahead of you by many years, yeah. and they use the false study of making you know a million dollars more than someone else. Well, that's been proven conclusively as, as just advertising. You know, and, and really, knowledge doesn't come from an external source. It, as many geniuses who dropped out in sixth grade have proven, um, knowledge comes from within. And no universities that I know of teach the trivium and the quadrivium, teach you how to critically think or uh, promote any thinking outside of these boxes. These boxes are these men's worlds, and along with those worlds come the ego and the entitlements and the Nobel Prizes. And it's just interesting to note that Nobel himself was the man who discovered uh, nitroglycerin. So that's, that's where we term explodemia as being the, the ruling uh, law as far as physics goes. And I don't think we need to reinvent the explosion-based engine anymore. The combustion engine has been basically, you know, reinvented as far as it's going to go. And if if only in how many years has the automobile been here? If if let's we say, went from yeah, let's say over a hundred anyway, yeah. Okay, well, the first gallon of gas got the first automobile. About how far do you think? Maybe five miles on a gallon. And over a hundred and something years, the best we can do is, is, you know, 50 miles to the gallon on the average. I mean, it's time to do something different. Mm -hmm. So try time to get out of explosion based technologies. That's what is at the heart of this. Right. And, and switch to implosion based, which are the things that, you know, the visions of these men like Tesla, Walter Russell and, and Victor Schauberger had to share with the world. I would like to pursue for a moment, if I could, the idea of the water-propelled vehicle. Is that okay with you guys? We're not authorities on it, but yeah, no. we know, we do know about HHO and Stan Meyer's work. Yeah, certainly. I, I guess right off the bat, to separate hydrogen and oxygen requires a certain amount of energy, and then to recombine it again, you get energy back. Right. And that's the initial starting point of most people's thinking in this regard. I used to drive a dual-fuel vehicle at one time, and it had two carburetors. It's very, very difficult to control fuel-air mixture on uh, a carburetor to begin with. Uh, to do it on a carburetor that is computer-controlled adds another level of difficulty. Uh, getting in to alter the code for some of these computers is another huge difficulty. Almost no one has done that, except the people who uh, build the cars. And so, well, Stan Meyer's process was he split the the um, the gas at the spark plug, 
And I know, I know a lot of people have a real tough time trying to understand how you can split water and it requires a certain amount of energy in order to split the hydrogen from the oxygen. And according to the, the false laws that have been taught in quackademia, the second law of thermodynamics, it's a one-way uh, notion created by Newton who is, you know, this is hundreds of years old. These, these, um, these backward notions of it being a one-way explodemia kind of universe are false. The universe works on cyclical processes and implosion. So what's happening is the, the implosion is, is a much, much more efficient manner of breaking things apart. They're using high energy electronics in order to crack the atoms and, and split everything. And they're recombining them. This requires extremely small amount of electrical energy in order to do that, but you get a lot of motive energy and blowing up the gases, which are released through the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which which defies the second law of thermodynamics, and it's not a law. I mean, it's not a law. We, everybody needs to understand that these are misconceptions. They're not laws. They they may apply to these explosion-based gasoline and rocket engines and things like that here on Earth, but they don't apply to the cosmos as a whole. Well, the other thing about uh, recombining oxygen and hydrogen in, an, in a, a combustive form is in the early rocket programs, they used to have um, hydrogen and oxygen fuel, and the rocket engines had to be made out of an extremely uh, high-temperature capable material on the inside wall of the combustion chamber in order to handle the, the high temperatures, which, which adds another component to this. Uh, modern engines are not really made out of the types of metals that would be able to withstand the high temperatures, in my opinion. Well, it's not, that's not the case with these engines. If you, they're burning Brown's gas. What they're making in most of these... these uh, I've heard these of Brown's gas Brown's before. Gas. Yeah. Yeah. And Brown's gas ha reacts differently to different things. I mean, you can run a, a flame over of Brown gas over your hand, and it, it won't burn it, but you can run it over, um, you know, if you just pass it by, but you can put it on wood, it'll ignite instantly. So it reacts differently with different materials. I've been hearing for about 10 years about Brown's gas, and I <clears throat> don't know yeah. much about it, yeah. Well, I've actually, I've actually had a friend, two years ago, he uh, put a, he bought a kit from a link from YouTube with directions, and for $30 in parts from a Walgreens, he made his own uh, HHO converter and put it on his truck. And his truck was a, I believe, like a 92 Blazer, Chevy Blazer. Mm -hmm. And he swore, he, and I actually saw it running, and he turned it on for us. And as soon as he turned his key, this uh, plastic container with two tubes and two electrodes in it began to bubble. Mm -hmm. And his engine wasn't even running. He simply turned his key on, which started the battery up. Mm -hmm. And once his battery was live, then it, be it began the this process of com of creating HHO, of Brown's gas. And then he said that driving home from Florida, that he doubled his gas mileage. And when the HHO revolution started about 10 years ago, there were maybe, you know, one or one to a hundred videos. And, and now if you type in HHO on YouTube, there's over 13,000 videos. So I've watched a hundred videos myself of different people who have actually put these things into their engines really? and basically my understanding of from seeing one on my friend's engine is that he took one hose was it was a, a discharge hose or an overflow you know in case 
the reaction got too much, and the other was fed into his air intake. Mm -hmm. So what he was mixing <clears throat> Brown's gas with his air, which is not computer controlled when you run it straight into the hose, mm -hmm. the air hose intake itself. So, I mean, at that level, it, it seems feasible, but I would definitely do more research, and I encourage people who, you know, and if, if, if people put these on them, their cars themselves, you know, it's not anything to do with an inspection. Your car will still pass inspection, but if you could double your gas mileage for 30 bucks in parts from a Walmart, what's stopping people? <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to do it to mine, but I have one of these newfangled, you know, Chevy trucks that yeah. I, I don't want to do it and then end up screwing up my engine. I'd like to have somebody actually install it for me who knows what they're doing. Yeah. But uh, finding someone is difficult because, again, the technology's new. And yeah. I think once it catches on, it's going to really take off and it's going to be unstoppable. Because. The big problem I see is the computer controls. There's so much innovation that could happen further with the internal combustion engine making it better. But now there are no backyard mechanics anymore because the source code alone on the, on the microcode that goes into these computers is totally closed source. And uh, if, you're, if you know anything about computer programming at all, if it's closed source, you can virtually never figure out what that machine is doing. Uh, open That's source, why you got to go back to older cars. You know, just uh, either, get yourself a car from the 70s. Either older cars or get the open source community to start working on some, uh, uh, like Linux did with, uh, with the operating system for uh, computers years ago. I mean, you have to get someone to build uh, the processor code that works on, on some of these uh, embedded systems and make them open source. And then from that moment on, we can, we can use open source to build all kinds of uh, add-ons for, for vehicles. But right now, it's virtually impossible, you know. It's interesting. I mean, man, mankind has a lot of progressing to do. And to do with automobiles, you know, some of this equipment that the, the computer interface equipment is standalone. It's, it's, there's no basic USB port you can plug in. I mean, <laughs> these machines are $50,000. Yeah. And that's just one of these many programs that, that are put into effect to keep the consumer from being able to work on his own things. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, and, and another, for instance, is a real good one. I, I, I've got friends here in town who own a tire shop. And I had a flat. I had a load of wood in my truck. And I'm going, oh, my God, because I have these nitrogen-filled tires. And I'm thinking, well, I better take it to my friend. And I rolled in the shop. And... He put it up on the rack, and he, he goes, uh, he starts to go to fill the, the patch. He patched it. He goes to start to fill it. And I said, whoa, 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 wait. Don't you got to put nitrogen in there because it's nitrogen filled. It's yeah. got special caps that, on the That's right, yeah. On the inner tube and whatever. And he goes, oh, no, that's just a big racket. I go, really? <laughs> I, go, I go, explain that to me. He goes, well, we had a nitrogen gas representative come in here into our shop, and he tried to sell us a $30,000 machine that we obviously can't afford. We're a tire repair place in a small town. And, and basically what they did was they, they spent millions of dollars on these tests and found that nitrogen doesn't leak out of a tire. I believe it was a 3% savings between air and nitrogen leaking out. Is that all? And he, wow. he just said, all you'll have to do is just fill your tire, you know, yeah. a little 
you know, maybe once a year more than you would with nitrogen. So he goes, it's a whole big racket. He goes, we're not going to buy the machine. And the whole thing is, he said, where you make your money back on the machine purchase is by charging your customers $30 a tire to fill it up with this nitrogen. Wow. Yeah. And he goes, we just won't do that to our customers. I, I said, well, you, you got one for life by telling me the truth about it. So, yeah. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, to think like like hydrogen vehicles that the, the main automakers have put out would require a hydrogen gas station. So you're still having to go pay for your fuel. And that's, we need to move away from, from charging money for everything as much as we need to move away from labeling everything, you know, because ultimately when we understand the cyclic processes of this universe, I, I tend to think of this universe as a mother and, and the way a mother cares for a child. Could you imagine a mother starting ch- started charging babies for breastfeedings? <laughs> I mean, and if these capitalists could do that, they'd find a way. But they would. There, are, there are some natural processes like the process of loving your neighbor as you love yourself, which hold far more value <laughs> than charging everybody for everything. And I'd like to see more uh, will trade for this or that signs on the road instead of this is for sale or you know we can become more agrarian and more concerned with each other's welfare before ourselves then we will begin to turn this culture around from a culture of taking and competition to one of giving and cooperation you you spoke of university graduates uh, being at a tremendous disadvantage with this huge debt absolutely. and wouldn't it be absolutely horrendous if our parents when we decided to leave home said all right, you're an adult now, you can leave home, but you owe me $200,000 for your upbringing. Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> it's philosophically and morally wrong. And as, long as, a racket. And as long as the system continues to operate in its current form, it's, it's going to result in mass death and yeah. mass pain and mass suffering. Well, and we have to be innovative. Money. You pay all that money for an education, and most of it's just a brainwash. You know, I mean, most of the information you're getting there is false, and you're just, you know, all you're required to do is memorize it and repeat it. And that, that's not knowledge. That's not even an education. It's just a mind control program. I think entrepreneurs who have been successful in life operate on a different level than most yes. people coming out of school. Yep. It's yeah. called being outside of the box. Yeah. yeah. And internal, internally, you will have a direction to go in. I'm sure as you're growing up, you have, well, I, I have a strong interest in a certain subject. So you'll go off and you'll learn as much as you can about that subject. And then you move on to another one and another. It's all in, rather than being presented in a classroom with um, basically entertainment from the time you start going to school until the time you come out, um, even sitting in front of a TV set, we talked about that before in, in other podcasts, but uh, it's you're being entertained in school and you're being entertained at home. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to see, um, as, as a hypothetical, if university physics professors were to embrace Russellian science and a two-way motion, just the very principle of teaching the minds of their students that this is a two-way universe being one of an implosion and, and then explosion or charge and discharge or inhalation, exhalation. You know, there's many different words. Generation, radiation. 
just this concept alone in the minds of the students would produce students that came out and within several years or, or even during that, that course itself would begin to think in the, the different ways that are needed. And as long as we think in terms of the box, it's a one-way heat, death, dying, exploding only universe, then that conveniently supports all the powers that be, the rationings of fuel, the charging outrageous prices for you know, different things, whereas the, the cyclical two-way motion would lay the foundation for a whole bed of new thinking. And of course, free energy technologies. And free energy technologies, absolutely. So we, we need a complete shift, and, and that's what Russell meant by when he said that, that science was so contrary to nature that nothing but a surgical operation upon the present primitive beliefs is required. Otherwise, there's no, and, and basically what that means is we have to take the science that, that as it stands now, the physics, astrophysics, the, all this stuff about physics, we need to go back literally at least 100 years and, yeah. and, and start over. Yeah, now, truly. Now, in order to do that, what, what was prevailing 100 years ago was the study of vortexes. And, and there's a lot of vortex scientists out there. And when, when the uh, oil companies and, and whoever else figured out that, that this physics, you know, Nobel and his, his first, the first recipient, you know, for an explosion. So, I mean, it, it was just the beginning of a, of a downfall of man's thinking in terms of understanding the true cyclic nature of this universe. I think it's sort of always been, though, that uh, the progress of science has gone down wrong paths uh, time and time again, and uh, that we've gone down a huge wrong path this time, you know. It's, yeah, it's provably manipulated from the very beginning, you know, especially from when they introduced the mythematics of, you know, Einstein, and, and all of a sudden math became you know, the king, you know, that, that was, that was the huge diversion away from, from real physics, the kind of physics that people before Einstein practiced. Yeah, it sounds like, sounds like you're against mathematics. Yeah, really, well, mathematics is what I'm against, not mathematics. And most of what's been created, you know, from quantum quackery through string theory is nothing but mathematics. And they've created, you know, hundreds and hundreds of non- exist entities, you know, from black holes to big bangs to neutron stars, gravitational collapse. Uh, it just goes on and on and on, you know, ad nauseum. So anytime their sums don't work, they invent some new uh, idea or particle or, or a something. constant. They'll, they'll, they'll invent a constant that makes it like the Planck's constant, where they invent a constant and they insert that and that brings the values into somewhere where they can they can deal with them where they can believe their their own fantasy and it's nothing more than a fantasy because there's no such thing as a as a planck's length you know it's just a mythematical entity that planck dreamed up but it has no exist you know hawking says that nothing can exist that's smaller than the planck's length well that's one side of the box that blocks all electrical motions from going on from that infinite spectrum from the planck's length to the point of zero so that's a, you're blocked in there. You can't even reach the, the still magnetic light, which everything is actually issuing forth from, where the creator resides, the, that's the space geometry. You can't even get there because you can't go smaller than a Planck's length. You see what I'm saying? And the other side of it is the Big Bang bubble. It's the edge of the universe where you're going to fall off into who knows what, you know? I mean, both of these things are absurd. These are taught as fundamental, foundational truths in, uh, in quackademia. 
Yes, it seems like anytime they use the word can't, um, there's, some, yeah. there's something yeah. wrong there. It's like you can't go faster than the speed of light. Well, exactly, yeah. or they'll tell you that you accelerate a particle and it's going to re uh, obtain infinite mass as it hits the speed of light. That, that's absolute insanity. You know, I mean, quasars and pulsars are moving faster than the speed of light. That's, that's what gives them their characteristics. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're just wrong on so many, so many, every time they try to limit us and keep us boxed in, it's a way of ensuring that the people that run this racket will, uh, the, the profits will keep rolling in for them. You know, the energy barons, the war mongers, and the central bankers, these are the three groups that profit from all this, this these lies, basically. And these are provably lies that have been orchestrated and created uh, through the, the scholastic system and the media to just keep people in a box. I call them right. the, the power vortexes. Hey, a vortex again, <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah, there you go. We like to name things, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> One thing they have uh, a good understanding of is is thought process, processes and the way people think. So, you know, once you study the the trivium and the quadrivium, which basically teaches critical thought through uh, grammar, logic, rhetoric, in that order, to the quadrivium, which is arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy, in that order. And that's the Pythagorean triangle, which is the five, four, and three, which is the quadrivium, it's three roads intersecting, the quadrivium is four roads intersecting, and the other corner is the five senses. Holy so God. man's balanced of a liberal arts education produces well-rounded critical thinkers and we have none of that in our universities today yeah exactly. we do not teach critical thinking because if we did people would be too critical of the way things are and it would change pretty much instantly so just for instance when students are taught and and this is where it really comes down to um nobody will ever invent a, a perpetual energy machine who believes in the second law of thermodynamics because it claims that that's impossible so that's their right. minds won't go there yeah 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 you know and i mean how can you go somewhere when you've set up your own fence and you're limited from going beyond it right. and and students these days don't understand what thought and thought processes are they think of a very corporatized uh materialistic view of the world as opposed to any kind of spiritual ideal. And the reason being is that religion among scientific circles is a great turnoff. You know, there's there's so much history in religion of bloodshed and warfare. But to me, science and religion are like two parents that won't quit fighting and I'm the kid stuck <laughs> in the middle forced to leave home for a different truth. Because science has enabled religion as religion enables science. In yeah. uh, religion man killed one man at a time with a sword and an arrow and a and so on in science men can kill millions of men at one time so to me each one enables the other and that's what russell saw until this marriage between the two could happen and they could learn to put the creator at the, at the center of of the motion and proceed with their eyes toward the creator as long as we proceed with our eyes away from the creator then we ha will never have a unity or unified understanding of what motion and matter is. And the very fact that the center of all motion is the central mind, which we all extend from, that's how you see your oneness in your fellow man. That's how a scientist can see his oneness with a priest 
And until men can come together through their center and realize that the center of them is the center of everyone else, then we will always continually look at the world as an object, look at other people as to be controlled, and, you know, we won't have the basic love and the foundation and the, the ability to ever build a balanced world. So, I mean, the, the real, the real uh, crux of the problem is, is the, the person that you are the man that you are and, and the, the, the listener of the show that you are, are you able to do this yourself? And the answer is yes. And I know if I can do it, anyone can. I, I was the biggest body dweller on the planet when in my 20s. I had no sense of what, what a spiritual existence was or a oneness between all men. But if I can come to it, I think anybody can. And, and this is a philosophical thing as well. And uh, perhaps just to say in other words, some of the things that you've said, if you change yourself, first and foremost, then magically the world around you changes as well. Bingo. You know? That's that's the the golden that's the golden ratio there. Working. And, and this comes back to the scientific method as well, because the observer affects the outcome of the observed. In other words, if you're doing an experiment, um, your very presence affects the experiment, you know? Absolutely. So by living a conscious creative life and and if 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 you're a person that has bad luck constantly just uh you know look in the mirror tell yourself you love yourself daily and just that little bit alone you'll notice a change in the world around you because we we reflect what we feel we are all mirrors to one another and just because we are such mirrors doesn't mean we necessarily have to reflect what is mirrored on us so Guys and girls who have money troubles, if you go home and, and your, your spouse is angry because of the money troubles, don't take it personal. She's just simply venting out what she's feeling, and you don't have to make that reflection your own and revent it back. I mean, we got to learn to break the cycle of the seesaw by being centered people, and only by being centered will you even notice the seesaw. Otherwise, you're on one edge or the other trying to find balance, which you never will. So the centering meditative still mind of, of the individual is the dwelling place, the house of God, if you will. And it's sexless, it's motionless, and it's silent. And that's why man can't find it. But it, it, it simply takes just decentrating your mind instead of concentrating. You can't think your way to stillness. You have to dissolve and decentrate your thoughts into the voids of space, and then you will find the stillness that has escaped us just to go back for a moment to your comments on uh, finances uh, wealth or scarcity uh, I know in my case um, scarcity has sort of dogged me most of my life um, never quite had enough this sort of stuff but I, I realized that if I could change that inside somehow and develop a um, an interior that is uh, of bounty then I know for a fact that the world around me would change and my life, my, my life would also change. And I, I think there's, I'm not looking for like uh, many different homes to live in, many different cars. I think that is uh, an unbalanced situation, but I think starvation is also an unbalanced situation. And I think human beings were meant to have everything that we should have. 
you know so i agree and i think you can I, in my case a little bit by little bit i've been changing that as well too uh, to reflect a little bit more prosperity in my life not that you have to have everything that you want you know but I wanted to ask you about something else. Do you are you familiar with James McKenney and his uh, Electric Theory of the Universe? And uh, if you not him specifically, but that's that that brings us to a good point is that that's what it is. It is electric universe, and you know universities teach it's a gravity based universe, and that's where Einstein and Newton, uh, yeah. Sagan, Michio Kuku, all the all the so-called people that you know Hawking, they they've wheeled all these people out in front of us as being authorities, and they all believed in it. It's a gravity based universe, which it's not. So, um, well, I've if heard McKinney's onto the electric universe. He's onto the right thing because that's what Walter Russell was teaching. He was teaching the electric universe. Yeah, he's basically saying that the sun, with its solar flares going out, is reacting to something else that's happening in the universe, and the solar flare yeah, activity right. increases and decreases as whatever affects the sun. And he's saying that comets coming into the solar system. Uh, excite the sun, and the sun gives off more solar flares, and it becomes more active. And right. he, he's saying that NASA's theory of the snowball theory of comets is totally wrong. And, yeah, it's totally uh, false. In fact, uh, you know, Thunderbolts.com, uh, Hal Thornhill, uh, all those people have been exposing this for a very long time. You know that uh, it is an electric universe. Uh, comets are electric. They're not snowballs. They don't have anything to do with snow or balls. Or <laughs> They're big chunks of blown up planets is what they are. They're pieces, fragments of asteroids. They're, what they are is asteroids, basically. Yeah. I mean, uh, just small pieces of asteroids. Or, or possibly moons that have left a parent uh, planet, say like Jupiter or Saturn. Yeah. Well, NASA did with, with the space shuttle an experiment one time, and it failed. And what I remember of it, they put a long tether, an electric wire out away from the Earth attached to the space shuttle, and they wanted to get as much distance on this wire as possible and measure the electricity. And right. uh, from my understanding, yes, they did measure electricity. It's sort of like an antenna going out away from, from the Earth uh, and developing a voltage. And right. the tether broke, and the experiment, uh, we were led to believe anyway that the experiment uh, was a failure, but I think they proved that the, if you just extend a wire from the center of the Earth outward, that you will develop a voltage on the wire. And Well, because they're, it, what they're doing is they're moving that wire at enormous velocity through a so-called magnetic field, which is really an electric field, so it's, so, so it's inevitable. And it, so it's it a motor. overloaded the wire and melted it so it snapped. Yeah, it becomes a motor then. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's the same principle. But I mean, that you're, what you're doing with the rotating magnetic field, you're just dragging the, you're doing it the opposite. You're dragging the huge copper wire through a massive magnetic field. Yeah, and it's my which opinion. Which is really an electric field. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. What we call magnetic fields are actually re uh, electric fields. They're spinning electric rings, which are divided by the equator. Well, they're the spinning rings that in, spin around the gravity shafts of the planet. In, convent which are the poles. in conventional electrical terms, of course, there's always a magnetic field associated with an electrical current. And that's the basis right. of our motors. This is conventional thinking. Uh, and as you say, if there's a tether from the space shuttle going out into space, it's, it's swiping through a very strong Earth's magnetic field, and it's becoming a motor. That makes perfect yeah, at sense. at enormous yeah. velocity. Yeah, sure. yeah. 
So, um, yes, we do in fact live in an electric existence. In fact, right down to the cellular level, I have been studying alternative medicine for many, many years, and I know that all of the experts say that if the human cell has a certain voltage on it between from the inside of the cell to the outside of the cell, and I forget what that voltage is, it's very tiny, but as long as that voltage is present, the cell will remain healthy. And as soon as that voltage falls below a critical level, the cell begins to die. And so even, even at the cellular level, we're still looking at um, an electric universe, you know? Yeah, all the way to the atomic level. Everything is a fractal extension from the atomic level, which are these spinning electric rings. Yeah. That's what gives everything form in the entire universe. Yeah, and you can you can run electricity through a corpse, and the muscles will contract, the arms and legs will move, the eyes will open and close. But without that electricity, the body's motionless. So what we are at our core is, you know, the stillness of mind, which unfolds into electric vortices, which interchange throughout its lifetime in the form of spheres and rings and we build these layers and eventually these layers begin to unwind more than they unwind and so things age and grow old and then we return to the clay of the earth from which we sprang but what we do not lose is the idea that is actually us and in yeah. the still magnetic light which is the creator's omniscient omnipresent omnipotent mind I wish we could come up with a theory of electric current that actually works like not not even a theory um, but I still don't understand I guess maybe the basic Walter Russell wave is electricity isn't it yes everything everything is an electric waveform yeah so we already have it which is an expression of desire a desire to be and that's yeah. I mean the creators creating this and we're co-creating with the creator Right, and, and as Russell said, all idea exists in stillness, that anything you imagine, Richard, or any of your listeners, or anyone in the whole world, in order for it to exist in this world, we have to literally physically build a body for it. None of man's inventions would exist at all if we just sat around thinking about them all day. They'd still be thoughts. The wheel would still be a thought of a man instead of an actual thing that, that is on a car. So if that's the nature and the order of the universe, then we should be able to think anything we want. And that's really the crux of this, is that they don't want us to think anything we want, because if we did, we wouldn't need them anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, and what this is, is it amounts to uh, basically mind control. I think the word government yeah. itself comes from gubernori, which means control, and then venti in Latin means mind. So... <laughs> it's amazing. Literally, it's amazing how many people in this world do not understand that the government, all governments throughout the world, have a vested interest in absolutely controlling what the masses think. Sure, <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, the CIA has had control of the, the media since its inception. Yeah, and this—I uh, hate to get too political—but this Al Jazeera is controlled totally by the CIA or British intelligence and. Uh, uh, what's been going on in the so-called uh, Arabian Spring? Uh, I don't. Right. I don't think was an accident, you know. But uh, and the Osama fraud. Yeah. Well, the yes. Whether you believe the man was um, really, he definitely was a CIA asset. He was. Yeah. De he was definitely um, 
part of the CIA for many, many years. He's also a rich person. I think he was off somewhere in some nice, luxurious quarters, um, and they borrowed his identity to be the boogeyman for the United States and for the world. And they, they well, you know, we always have to have an enemy, right? Well, and, sure. And so, also, and so, whether also, he whether he's dead or not, the idea of him is dead. So um, I don't care if he's off somewhere on a beach enjoying himself, but uh, the idea is dead anyway. But they've resurrected that idea, and they say it's worse now. There's more uh, uh, need to be afraid and in terror than ever before. You know. I mean, yeah, it's, eight guys yeah. have taken his place. But just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. just just to put that whole media frenzy story into perspective, here in the state of Missouri, I went fishing yesterday. And I caught a 30-pound smallmouth bass, which is a state record. I put it back in the water and forgot to take a picture, but I think everybody should believe me. I don't believe oh, yeah, you. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I believe you. Yeah. I mean, that's a fish story <laughs> to me. So, anyways. And Osama definitely was not in that coffin they pushed over the edge of that boat. There's no way. Oh, I saw the video link you, you sent me about that, and it's just amazing how it's not the same guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Osama got, you know, the CIA built all those bunkers up there in Tora Bora, you know, and once they, they started the war, they invaded Afghanistan, they went in and blew those things to smithereens. You know, they knew exactly where they were. They hit them with bunker busters, and I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Osama probably got taken out right at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. But since he's a player, sometimes they, they let their players go off into oblivion somewhere, you know. Yeah, well, I, th I think that's the case with Saddam, for sure. I think, uh, you know, the, the phony Saddam, the phony hanging and all that stuff was all BS. I mean, he was one of the smartest guys imaginable in the in Mideast. He had enormous amounts of security measures, four or five doubles of himself. I mean, underground cities and stuff. This guy was heavily armed and stuff, he had a ton of freaking money, and they're going to find him in a hole into Crete with a, a half a million dollars in a briefcase? Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make any sense, you know? There are, there are right. lots. I, Go ahead, yeah. I was going to say, I think what's required in, in this political media frenzy is, is absolute discernment. And the media, it thrives on the seesaw. And as long as your own mind is a seesaw, uh, then, then it's going to be much harder to be centered and think critically. And you can, you can look at uh, all the, the logical fallacies that surround any media report, be it a Greenpeace commercial to a, a terrorism alert, is that there's, there's so many fallacies of lo logical thinking in this, be it an, an appeal to authority or a fear message, that, that you simply learn these, these steps of critical thought and you'll be able to pick these things apart. Yes. But the people who don't know how to think have no no uh, ground for which to stand on so they have no footing therefore i.e. they think what they're told and or they not, think through their emotions they, right. I mean, most of this stuff is is engineered to tug upon their emotions you know like when this whole thing came down with Saddam and all that in Iraq they told the Australians that Saddam was feeding his enemies into wood chippers fee first you know, that was one of the lies they used over there and to, uh, just to, to destroy them emotionally. Oh, oh we got to go get this guy. How can anybody feed somebody, you know, foot, foot, feet first into a wood chipper? You know, and and, the whole thing was proven to be a complete fraud. And in Kuwait, the uh, they were, you know, killing babies and stuff like that, too. Yeah. yeah. This is what we're and told. The, the lips off of women in Afghanistan, the Taliban yeah. were, you know, for wearing lipstick. Well, I think in, intelligent people can certainly look at 
the news stories and get a sense of what's really happening. In many cases, we may, may never know the truth, but we can always uh, suspect uh, what's really going on, you know. Uh, look at the nuclear yeah. reactors in Japan, for instance, uh, how they're no longer in the news anymore. And, and yet, <laughs> right. um, I listen to podcasts from Australian news, and believe it or not, I would highly recommend, if, if you really want to know what's going on in the world, the Australians have this... Uh, notion of the reporters grab onto a subject and they won't let it go until they have the right answers. And uh, from from their reports, I see that uh, nuclear reactor number one in Japan actually did melt down. And um, we're not sure of the state of the remaining reactors. I don't think any of them are in, in very good condition at all. But the amount of news coming out of that is so um, small it seems to have gone off the radar for everybody, and I still keep doing my uh, radiation measurements every every few days anyway. I miss a few days. Um, ra- the counts per minute in Toronto is, ranges from 8 counts per minute up to about 18 counts per minute, depending on the day. It really fluctuates quite a bit from day to day. So um, I think it has gone up noticeably, if you look at uh, the time on that. But I don't think we're... Uh, you know, all going to die or anything right away. However, exactly. if, if this thing keeps seeping radiation into the water and into the air forever, then I could see it being a long-term problem for the whole world, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and what'll what'll happen out of that is you'll see birth rates decline, you'll mm-hmm. see stillborn rates increase, you'll see uh, average lifespans decreasing across the yeah those affected areas and and um, as the Russells put it so so beautifully in Atomic Suicide a book they co-authored that uh, the, the misuse of atomic energy could result in man's mass migration to the poles of the planet because that would be the only safe place with which to survive such a you know massive amount of radiation being released and it would require hundreds, perhaps maybe even a thousand years of living on the poles before we could come back to to be in, in the main parts of the world again because it could get so bad that and what radioactivity is is it's a it's the death force of creation. So it, it has its place under the earth and it should stay under the earth just like a corpse should stay under the earth. I mean these these radioactive elements we're digging up are equatable to, to digging up corpses and, and these things have their place they sustain the life on the earth break the, the rock down through their microscopic explosions that you know and uh, it's the equivalent of, of bringing Saturn which is a radioactive planet to where the earth is I mean it's, it's, it's that ridiculous you know and think of the effects that would have if, if you bring something so unwound into a more tightly wound place it's going to seek to expand or, or collapse into its its like uh, potentials. So I mean, basically, what what you're getting is is uh, radioactivity seeks to return to its its correct place. So as it falls to the earth, it's going to basically contaminate everything, be it our food, our water, our air, and it's going to take those many millions of years to seep back down into the ground to its its correct potential. Mm. 
place in nature. What we see happening in the world is an assault on life uh, altogether. And from the food point of view, our food is being compromised, genetically engineered, uh, basically screwed up by by people who provide our food for us. Absolutely. On, and on, this this didn't happen by a misuse of matter. Yeah. It happened by a misuse of the mind. And the, if you look at the medical uh, system, too, uh, how... Um, I'm not going to say poor quality medicine we have, but we, we I don't think there's a lot of... Uh, uh, impetus to really look at the cause of illness. I mean, I think there's vested interest uh, to see to it that, that there's a certain rate of death in the population, and I think that's wanted by the the people who uh, are in control of uh, the world. And so you have radiation yeah. leaking, you have our food supp supply compromised, you have uh, questionable quality medicine, and I, I don't know. And they whether, all conform to the one agenda of population control, which yeah. is numero uno on their list, you know? Yes, yes. I mean, that is. They want to get the planetary population down so Un they can unfortunately, rule it more easily. Unfortunately, they might miscalculate and uh, we might become extinct, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's literally that, that possibility faces all of us. And as critical thinkers, uh, we're obliged to do something about it if you really... You know, and I think anybody out there who's on the fence saying, "Oh, I just don't know what I could do," well, uh, you have to first you have to read the truth or hear it, then you have to speak it, then you have to walk it, and that's the order in which you do it. And when you begin to 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 learn it, it's difficult because you're going against mental concepts that you grew up with your whole life, like get Christmas for your children. And for me, I, I, I quit buying material things for my kids many years ago and just began to buy them books because I want to, you know, uh, incur a strong desire and love for reading, which they are extremely intelligent due to mass amounts of reading. So mm -hmm. just little things like that. We have to teach our children that they have to work for things and not just give them things so that they can understand the processes of nature that nature works to give. But in that giving, when a child learns to give, it truly can understand the natural. And that's, that's why I think it's, it's difficult, but it's also enlightening that we, the world has not produced any Teslas or Walter Russells in, in a while. And I think it's due to the fact that when, when men grew up 50, 60 years ago, it was a different ethic. I mean, you worked on the farm, you had to go milk the cow if you wanted milk in the morning, and today every, everything seems to be handed to us, and, and I do like that aspect that I don't have to get up in the morning and go milk a cow, but, but on the same hand, I do know that there's work required. If I'm going to make a difference in this world, I have to work toward that, and life is hard work, and you know, you have to stoop to uh, leap up in the air. You have to you know, go through the mud before you can get view of the mountaintop and just everybody out there who who is uh experiencing any kind of suffering pain loss just know that this too shall pass and that that by finding yourself in the center then you can really begin to extend out and make a change that's that's valuable that's needed and we'll, we do this together in all our own little ways 
in all our own little places. We don't need to come together in a big conference and decide we're going to change the world. We decide it in ourselves, and then we all work in our respective areas, our respective selves, and start mirroring out to the world the way you want to see it become. And that's all you have to do. And I think if, if everybody did that tomorrow, we'd have radical change so fast that we, we wouldn't even recognize the world. You know, I, I dream of living in a world where I can leave my doors open and leave my car unlocked, and I know it's not going to go anywhere. But the way it stands right now, there's just there's no hope for that unless mankind does something about it. And forming more societies and more groups and more political parties and more... Uh, town hall meetings, that's not going to change anything. I think it's, it's down to the individual to change from an individual of divided duality into the triality or the centeredness of a universalist. And I think that's the progression that mankind is evolutionarily taking as well. So, I'm thinking right now of um, democratic dictatorship and why, why that thought came to mind is we keep electing the same... Uh, let, this is the process. Someone runs for office, they get in front of the TV camera, and they promise everything under the sun. They speak our language. They get elected, and they morph into some yeah. completely different animal, and now they're something that we never elected. And so That's what we have... They never, they never had the intentions of doing what they said they were going to do anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it's not really a democracy, is it? You know, anyway. no, it's a sham. And this is, a, this is a republic here. It's not a democracy. They keep telling us over and over and over it's a democracy. Democracy means mob rule. It means that the yeah. 51% gets to rule over the 49%, exactly. whoever wins. You know, And a, a republic... What a republic did is it protected the rights of the individual. Yeah. What a democracy does is it protects the rights and the desires and the agendas of the 51% over the 49. Well, you can't. Or at least that's the math that they give us. You, you know what I mean? You can't convince most people that the government, any government in any country, uh, you can't convince them that, that they're acting in favor of large big business interests and that they have, <laughs> they have absolutely no interest in you, the common person at all. You know, right. you, you can't convince right. oh, them yeah. that because of this propaganda thing that the vast majority of people think the government is their mama, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's the Anubis, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. The other thing, too. The, the need for father figure, exactly. Yeah, the other thing, too, is we're looking at truth in science. That's basically what this podcast is all about, truth in science, honest science, legitimate science. You can't be a seeker of true legitimate science and not at the same time notice what's going on in the world politically. It's not, Absolutely. It's not, Every yeah. single uh, person I ever studied with, it's always, they always come to the same exact conclusions about the agenda, the racket of the people that run this planet. Yeah. Every last person I've ever studied involved in the physics, and this, they, they know these things too. Yeah, yeah. It's transparent. It's obvious. And you see that through the manipulation. You can see through the suppression of free energy technologies. That's the most, one of the most blatant things that there is. Once you see that they suppress this, then you see immediately who's behind it, who, who's going to profit, you know? Yeah. Well, I think we've come to uh, – <clears throat> let me clear my throat here again. I think we've come to the end of a very interesting podcast. I'd like to thank 
both of my guests, Robert Ote and Matt Presty, for being on the show. You've been listening to Rusty Microphone. The website, of course, is rustymicrophone.com. Uh, Robert, could you tell us how people could find you? Uh, my website is Free Thinking and Free Energy. Uh, if you Google that, you'll go straight to it. Uh, it's F E A N D F T dot com. So it's Free Thinking and Free Energy abbreviated. Or they can find me through uh, the YouTube channel, which is the 77G Slinger, uh, 77GSLINGER. Okay, and uh, Matt? Yeah, my website is Matt Presti, M A T T P R E S T I dot com. And also the joint website between Robert and myself on our Rosellian Science series for those interested in learning more about those concepts and the actual physical working universe, you can go to thesecretoflight.com. Any final uh, comments, Robert? And then we'll switch over to Matt, and that'll be it. Uh, i just like to say that um, if you're thinking about college, going to college and studying physics or you know science, corporate-owned science, don't do it. You know, Go somewhere else. Uh, watch the college conspiracy. I think that's the it's great. It's the zeitgeist of the college movement. It's gonna. It's busting the the fraud that the whole college racket is. Please watch it and uh, you know take your. If you got some money, invest it in silver and gold, and uh, get together with other people and start working together to uh, to work cooperatively. Maybe get together and work. Farming is going to be the biggest thing in the world. Get involved uh, doing something useful, producing good quality food, high quality food for people around you. That that's one of the most noble things you can do right now. And Matt, yeah. And my advice for those out there would be simply, in the immortal words of Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss, find what it is in your own unique nature, and develop that gift and give that gift to the world. It does not require a college. Uh, degree. It does not require even a high school education. When you truly find who it is you are, what you are, and and uh, use your your gifts to uh, develop, then I think uh, by mirroring that out into the world, it will certainly have more effect than any PhD ever could. We've attempted in this podcast to give people truth in science or an honest scientific view, at least as we see it. Thank you for downloading this podcast. My name is Richard Rucroft. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.